Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Um, this last few weeks, as you know, we've been going through the life of Joseph. So I thought I'd get into the part. <laughs> so there we go. <clears throat> One of my favourite shirts, actually. There we go. <laughs> right, so anyway, we're going through the life of Joseph. So a quick recap of what's been happening. Joseph had been showing off, saying how great he was, boasting to his brothers how what wonderful dreams he'd had that he was going to be blessed by God and that his family were going to be bowing down to him one day. His brothers got so jealous of him and fed up with him that they were about to kill him, but then they decided they'd make more money if they sold him, so they sold him off to, and they went off to, with some slave traders and he was sold off to Egypt to a guy called Potiphar, where he met this lovely, lovely, luscious wife, but, uh, which we're going to be looking at today in uh, slobs actually this bit. But um, <clears throat> he decided he wasn't going to sleep with her, but he was going to be honest to God. And, uh, but his Potiphar's wife said, no, no, he's been nasty to me. So he's thrown into prison, thrown into prison, uh, interpreted a couple of dreams, was there for a few years. It was nasty and smelly and horrible down there for him. He came out and he was able to uh, prophesy about a famine that was coming to Egypt. And at that point, the king said, what am I going to do about that then? So Joseph, in his wisdom, said, well, I think I might know someone else. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all of the lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food, and then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, 
because the famine was severe in all the world. Uh, Shall we pray? Lord, I just pray for today that uh, your word will speak to us. I thank you you've already started speaking to us already today. But Lord, I pray that you'll use me to be your servant, to be your mouthpiece. And whatever I have to say, let them be your words. And if my words are a load of rubbish, then change them to your words, I pray. And let us all hear what you have to say and feed as we pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, so that's roughly what's happening. Um, There's been a big build-up for today. And I'm sorry I'm going to have to disappoint you. Because Owen has been saying week after week after week that Malcolm is going to do the last part of Joseph's story. Well, actually... Um, I'm only on verse 41. There's another nine chapters after this. So if you want to get to the end of Joseph's story, you'll have to go home and read your own Bibles, I'm afraid. Because that's as far as it gets in the book we've been going through. Okay. Joseph. Joseph had been set free from prison. Now, when he was set free from prison, he could have so easily have settled down, had a fairly good life, and that would have been it. But no. You see, while Joseph was in prison... God had changed him. He changed Joseph from being a self-centered, arrogant show-off and prepared, prepared him. He prepared Joseph so that when Joseph was delivered from prison, he was put in a position where he could deliver Egypt from starvation. Although Joseph had been thrown into the pit of despair, Joseph kept hold of God and God's promises. He kept hold. Many people through history and even today, and no doubt when I've long gone and dead, well, people still do this. When disaster comes to certain Christians, they turn their back on God and they say, how can God be true? How can God allow nasty things to happen to someone as good as me? But Joseph didn't say that. He didn't turn his back on God. He kept close to God. And because he kept close to God and kept close to God's values, God was able to change that pit of despair and turn it into a pit of repair. Sometimes God takes us by the hand and he leads us into troubled times. He leads us into disastrous times in our life. And it's so easy for us to say, I give up. But we mustn't give up. We need to keep close to God. Because those times that we're clinging on to God, God can wrap his arms around us. God can keep hold of us. And in those times, he can mould us. He can change us. He can develop us into the person that he wants us to be. Paul writes a letter to the Romans. And he says this absolutely fantastic way. He says this. In uh, chapter 5, he says this. We should rejoice, notice that word, we should rejoice in our sufferings. That's good, isn't it, eh? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Through Joseph's sufferings, God was able to change this guy from being a self-opinionated, arrogant, show-off, little twerp, into a humble servant of 
God. So when Joseph emerged from the darkness into the light, the very first thing that he did was to glorify God. We heard last week, Owen was saying that last week, when Joseph came out of prison, he was able to prophesy. And he said that for seven years, Egypt was going to have a great time. They're going to have loads of food, loads of drink, everything was going to be great, fantastic. But then, seven years after that, disaster was headed their way. There was going to be such a disaster. There was going to be famine coming to that land. Joseph arrived on the scene with the answers to, his, to the problems of his generation. So too, we have the answers to the problems in, of our nation and our generation. Many of us might be watching the TV, might be watching the news, and we see disasters everywhere. We go down the street, look around Doncaster or Leeds, and we think, goodness me, look at what's going off here. Even in our own neighbourhood, we think, oh no, if only God could change some of this. Very often, God uses us to be the answer to our own prayers. In verse 36 of that passage that Heather read out, it says that when Egypt had everything going for it, when there was loads of food, loads of drink, everybody was happy, smiley, jumping around, they were so ecstatic because everything was going good for them, Joseph held back the food. He stored it up. And that's exactly what we need to do. When we're having a great time with God, when things are going brilliant for us, when we're jumping around praising God and nothing in the world has any problems, the world's smiling with us, we're really happy... They're the times that we need to remember the things that we have been learnt by God. The things we've read in our Bibles. The things we've heard here in the sermons. We need to remember the experiences that we've had from God. Where we've been blessed by the Holy Spirit. Maybe healings we've seen. All sorts of miracles. We need to store them in our minds. Because one day, one day, disaster will come to us. Horrible things will come to us. And we need to remember what God has done. Because when we hear that voice saying, how can God be true? How can there be a God when he allows someone as nice as you to have all these horrible things happen to you? We can say, I know it's God is true because I've read it. Because I've experienced God. And we, that's why we need to cling on to it. Joseph knew there was a famine coming to his country. And just as a famine did come to Egypt, so too, I believe, we have a famine in this country as well. Okay, I know we've got loads of food, we've got loads of drink all around. As you look around, you don't see skinny people with ribs hanging out and stuff like that around the place. But... I think it's the type of food that we're taking. So much of our nation is eating and drinking so much junk food. Now when I talk about food, I'm not just the, talking about the stuff we cram into our mouths. I'm talking about the spiritual food. The things that we take in, the things we absorb from our nation, from the media, from what the world throws at us. All the stuff that we absorb. Because that sort of food is not necessarily always good for us. It might seem good for a while, but in the end, it's just horrible, to be honest. Let's just look at the state of our nation, for example. Um, how do we see our nation? Well, marriages and even people living together are on the decline. Divorces and separation are on the increase. Um, in the uh, 
late 60s and early 70s, for some, well, our government thought it'd be a really good idea to make divorce a lot easier. They said that it's not really fair for children to have to live in a home life where mum and dad are arguing all the time, so they made divorce a lot easier. And they said that would be good for mum, good for dad, and good for the kids as well. But since that time, a lot of research has been done. And uh, I've been uh, dipping into a book. Uh, I would actually recommend it to you. But it's called, uh, it's not a Christian book, I'll admit, it's not a Christian book, but it's called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. It's a good book, uh, but it's written by several people. And what these guys did is they studied 131 families that broke up through divorce. They specifically looked at how the children grew up. The main factor that sprang out for most, not all, but most of those families, or most of those children, was they, all, most of them ended up with emotional problems. You see, what happened was, although they were in a, an environment where mum and dad might have been arguing, it was a stable environment. It was a secure environment for them. But then, when they got divorced... Their little world that they had just crumbled around them. Their world was ripped apart. And so, they no longer had mum and dad. They were different. They lived in different places. Also, they ended up, some of them, ended up with a new mum and a new dad. Some of them ended up with new brothers, new sisters. None of them of their choice. And so what happened, so this study goes, like I say, not all of them, but some of them, what happened was... As they grew up, as they got to an age where they themselves wanted to get into, a, uh, into an intimate relationship, where they wanted to get married or where they wanted to live with someone, they became afraid or distrusted the opposite sex. And they thought by committing themselves to someone or having an intimate relationship, it would fail, it would go completely wrong. And so they ended up doing the one thing that they didn't want to do and that they ended up by themselves. Singleness is on the increase in this country. In America, I can only get the statistics from America, I couldn't get it from here, but they say in America that 9 out of 10 people get married sometime in their life. Yet, last year was the first time, through statistics, that just over 50% of Americans claim to be single, whether that be through divorce, whether it's separation, um, through being single or just being widowed. But just over 50%. And they say, what happens in America soon comes to this country. So that may be happening in this country too. But we see that more and more people are buying one or two bedroomed homes. We see apartments going up all over the country that just have one or two bedrooms in it. All over Bessica, where I come from, and Doncaster, Lakeside, they have one or two bedroomed apartments. Because relationships are breaking down, people are becoming less trusting towards other people. And it seems that the only thing that's left in a relationship is bitterness and resentment. Children seem to be out of control and the crime rate's going up, yet more and more people are looking for significance in their life. Um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, on the news, there was a, a young chap, he shot someone because they didn't respect him. He wanted them, he wanted to feel significant to that person. They didn't, so he shot them. So what else are people feeding themselves on to feel significant? 
flashy cars, the latest mobile phone, the latest fashion, following celebrities. I can't believe that somebody paid a million dollars for Britney Spears' hair. They shaved her hair, she shaved her hair, she million dollars for that, I can't believe that. It's junk, it's a load of junk. Now we know exactly what these people need to feel satisfied, don't we? Don't we? What do they need then? Jesus, oh Ray, fantastic, you are listening to me, oh Ray, goodness me. They need jolly Jesus, no, oh, I'm not meant to say that either, sorry. They're not, they, they want Jesus, right? They don't want jumbo junk food, they need Jesus in their lives. Honestly, they do. Um, they need godly food as well as physical food, proper food in their lives. Kingdom principles are what people so desperately need. They need to know how to live the way that God intended us to live. But sadly, people do not hear how good it is to live as God wants us to live. Sadly, people don't know how good it is to remain celibate until we're married. Sadly, people never hear about how good it is that if we do get married... It's good to stay with that same person for the rest of our lives. Sadly, people never hear how good it is to be truthful and honest and upright. Sadly, people don't get to hear how good it is to forgive one another, no matter what they've done to us. Just as Joseph forgave his brothers. Now, Joseph... Now, a lot of commentaries would say that Joseph spent about roughly around 10 years in a stinking dark prison. And in that time, he could have sat there remembering what his brothers had done to him. He could have sat there thinking to himself, well, I know I'm gonna get, how I'm going to get my revenge on this. He could have been churning over and over again what he was going to do to his brothers. But he didn't. While he was in prison, he kept hold of God. He kept hold of God's values and principles. And because of that, when he was released, not only did he forgive his, his um, conniving, scheming, backbiting, two-faced brothers, but he also, in their hour of need, he was able to bless them abundantly as well. Instead of insecurity and unrest that we get from the rubbish tip of this world, we get peace and security when we follow God's way of doing things. Another life-changing principle that God teaches us is this. An undisciplined child is an unloved child. Now if we love our children, then why on earth would we want to give them junk? Okay? Now we might give them the latest toys as soon as they come out in the shops. But all we'll do is fill up their bedroom, it'll be a mess, they'll end up resenting us, they'll get bored of them, and they'll end up resenting all their toys as well. I don't know if you've read in the papers uh, this week, two kids, a boy and a girl, one was eight, one was nine. Fourteen stone! Fourteen stone, eight and nine year old. Now giving them what they want is not love, that's abuse. Let me tell you something, come here, come here. The word no is not a swear word. Honest, it's not. Kids are kids. They're not adults with years of experience. 
They might think they are, but they're not. They need parents that want to spend time with them, that spend time listening to them, playing with them, just being with them. They don't want things given to them so we can go off and do our own thing. Goodness me. They need a mum and dad, not Mr. TV, to influence them. Now, if we teach them biblical principles, they will grow up to be a blessing to us. And not only that, they will grow up, have self-esteem, and they'll have security and have dignity as well. We mustn't let our kids just do whatever they want to. If we just let our kids do whatever they want to do, they just end up like animals. We see it in the, in the film, in the television, we see it in our own streets. Gangs of kids ro- roving around just looking for self-gratification. And they end up growing up to think that the most important thing in the world is themselves. And so when they go into a relationship, they can't cope because they think that they're important and no one else is. They can't give, they can't take. When I was a kid, I was always told, Malcolm, you can do whatever you want as long as you're happy. So that's what I did. And I ended up being a self-hating moron. Actually, I didn't end up like that because Jesus changed me, obviously. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. Now I know that it's so easy for me to stand up here and say, look, this is how you need to live your lives. Uh, follow the Bible, uh, this is how you need to bring up your kids, da, 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 da. it's really easy. Listen, I've got three kids of my own, I know what hard work it is. But, I put biblical principles in my marriage. I put biblical principles with my kids. Okay? And they have been a major blessing to me. I am proud of my kids, well, most of the time. I am, honestly, aren't I? But I'll tell you something else. I am scared silly about what is going to happen to my kids when they get into secondary school and beyond. It scares me silly. But my saving grace is Owen and Moena. Because they have got kids that are older than mine. And they have used biblical principles on their kids. And their kids have turned out great. So... Kingdom principles are not just for families though. They're not just for when we're playing around and having fun. They're also, uh, uh, we need kingdom principles at work as well. I've got a friend that um, would say to me that he's a painter and decorator. And uh, perks of the job is that when he needs to do a private job, he pinches some paint from work and he just does his job. It's perks. That's why he gets a job as a painter and decorator. He gets free paint. But now he's just become a Christian. And now he says, he still gets paint from work, but he pays for it. He is using kingdom principle, which is brilliant. It's fantastic. So how do we know how to live our lives according to how God wants it to be? Well, we can meet up, have a cup of coffee with someone, uh, another Christian, and just chat over what we think, um, how God's saying to us, what God's saying to us. We can uh, come to the Sunday service and listen to the preacher and uh, be inspired by him. That'd be really good, wouldn't it? And the other thing, and I've been dying to say this all day, the other way that we can find out about how God wants to live our lives is to read the manual. Get your Bibles out. Get reading that, mate. That's fantastic. I love saying that. All right. Okay. We need 
to be able to live our lives. We ought to know how to live our lives according to what the Bible says. Okay? Our lives need to reflect what the Bible says. Listen, there's a lot of people in the world and they just can't be bothered to pick up the Bible. They're not going to read the Bible. The only Bible that they will read is you and me. And that's the only Bible they're going to look at. That is why it's so important that our lives reflect the Bible. We're not to go around saying, oh, I'm a lovely Christian, and then backstab someone, and then pinch something here, and gossip, and have arguments with people. Let me tell you something else. Listen. Doing that sort of thing, it puts people off Christianity. Honestly, it does. I've seen it. Because the way we live, because we live by God's principles, that means that we have more freedom in our lives. Honestly, it does. Because we have theft and murder in our country, we have to lock our doors. We have to put alarm systems around the house and on the car. We have to spend no end of money on insurance and all this sort of stuff. When we walk down the street at night, some people, especially you ladies, get a bit nervous in case someone jumps out and mugs us or kills us. That's not much freedom, is it? Rules are put there by God, not because God's some sort of jolly spoil sport and doesn't like us having fun. He puts them there because he knows he doesn't want us to hurt other people. And he doesn't want us, ourselves, to be as miserable as sin. So why do we sin then? What's the point? Why do we sin? I'll tell you why we sin. Because it's fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, would we? But it's only fun to start off with. All right? And then after that, we end up as miserable as sin. Okay, it's really good to be able to pinch stuff from work. Yeah, it benefits us. It's really good. But when our company goes bankrupt because it's losing money, that's not much fun, is it? I'll tell you something else. It does our egos. The world of good, or it would do our ego. I'm not ad- advertising you do this, by the way. You know, <clears throat> it does our egos. The world of good. And it makes us feel really excited if we run off with someone who's 10 years younger than ourselves until we move in with them and discover that they're useless around the house and our own kids hate us because we've walked off and left them. And they're horrible. We're not to be as miserable as sin, but we're to have joy in the Lord. That's why we need to live by God's principles. Just as Joseph had all the answers for the generation in his nation, so do we. Not many people are happy living in broken families. Not many people are happy living by themselves. So many people are desperate for a meaningful relationship. So many people are desperate. So desperate that many actually turn to suicide. I don't know um, if you've heard the news lately this week. Heather tells me off this, but I like listening to the news about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I get better news, I think, anyway. But there's two news reports, okay? Two news reports, I don't know if you heard it. But uh, and they're, although they're similar, they're different, they're on different days and whatever else. Anyway, in Ireland, there's a bridge in Dublin. And on this bridge, about five or six people a day jump off it to commit suicide. It's such a problem 
that the social services have got hold of the taxi drivers and trained them up so that when the taxi drivers are going over this bridge in Dublin and they see someone stood on the edge of the bridge, they pull over, run across, they're trained to coax this person down and if they don't jump, they get them in the taxi, drive them off for counselling. Fantastic, brilliant, yeah? In America, in San Francisco, on their suspension bridge, what's it called? Golden Gate. They have loads of people jumping off that every day. It's a major problem. They come from miles around just to jump off this Golden Gate. Stupid. So what do the Americans do? They phone up Hollywood. Coming soon to your cinemas is a major blockbuster film as they've filmed these people, depressed, jumping off the bridge. They've shoved microphones under their faces as they're about to jump and said, what's the matter mate? Oh, my wife's left me. My job's gone bankrupt. Oh, everyone hates me. Life's not worth living. Right, okay then, off you go. Don't you want to get me down? No, 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 it'd be great. It's for the film. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It just shows that people are desperate for some kind of relationship. So much so they will turn to suicide. But sadly, so many of them end up by themselves on their own. I'm just ask you a quick question, actually. You might know the answer. I've given a lot of clues away today, actually. <clears throat> Do you know what Britain's number one killer disease is? Does anybody know? No, I'll give you a clue, I'll give you actually a clue. Medical scientists or medical people would not say it's actually a disease. There's a bit of a clue. Yeah, loneliness. Loneliness is our biggest number one killer disease. People are so lonely they turn to suicide. Now we have the answer to that problem, don't we? It's simple. Now some of you will say, I know what to do. I can text a friend. Do, 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 do. That's brilliant, that is. Okay, it's okay, not brilliant. I know, let's write them a letter. That's really nice, nice to get a letter, isn't it? It's brilliant, fantastic. Send them a card or something, that's good. I encourage people to do that for people. But you can do better than that. Phone them up. Brilliant idea. They can chat. They've got some sort of contact. But the best way, honestly, this is so the best way. Go and visit them. Go and spend some time with these people. Honestly, it works. A few um, years after I became a Christian, I think I've been a Christian for about four years, I was involved in a uh, Christian youth group and there was a few of us there where our parents weren't Christians. And we'd moan and groan and wish that God would convert them and all this sort of stuff. And then, one day, I was reading my Bible and uh, <clears throat> I came across this passage where Jesus said that a prophet has no honour in their home. And it hit me, just hit me like a thunderbolt. The reason why our parents aren't becoming Christians is because they see all the bad things we do. They know all the things about us that put them off Christianity. So I came up with this fantastic, this is a brilliant idea. Fantastic. Got all my mates around, we put our names, we wrote our names and put them in a hat. And then we pulled out our names. And whoever's name you had, you had to visit their parents. I got this girl called Roz. Uh, by the way, nobody dare go and visit my parents. All scared of my parents. It's a bit annoying. But anyway, I've got this girl called Roz. <clears throat> and uh, so I spoke to her and said, when are you going to see your mates? When are you going to your clubs? So she told me when she'd be out. So, knocking on the door. Knock, knock, knock. I knew she'd be out. Hello, is Roz coming out? She's not in. Bang, shut the door. Okay. Knock, knock, knock. Is Roz coming out? No, she's out. Bang. I did this for a few weeks. This is the plan. Because you knew that's going to happen anyway. After a few weeks, knock, knock, knock. Is Ros coming out? Do you know, Malcolm, you come round here so often, and she's always out. 
Why don't you come in and have a cup of tea? I'd love to. It works, honestly, it works. <clears throat> Went in, got to know mum, got to know dad, got to know that mum doesn't like dad, got to know that dad doesn't like dad because he's an alcoholic. Now, I wouldn't say this is a good idea, but seeing as there was a 30-year age gap, I thought I was safe, right? And seeing as I was young, trendy, and I was handsome, and she was sort of like wrinkly and whatever else, I, you know, it sort of, I knew there was nothing going to go on. But I used to take mum out once a week to the cinema. I used to take her to see the films, and then on the way back, we'd talk about Jesus, what Jesus could do in her life and that. Eventually, mum started going to church. I used to go and see dad when I knew mum was out as well. I used to talk to him. Eventually, he got dried out, and he came out. Now, we're still good friends with that couple. Heather and I, we go and see them regularly. And they, every time, they just cannot thank us enough how we changed their lives. Now, sadly, none of, them, none of them did become Christians, but we're still working on that bit. But we changed their lives because we followed God's principles. We acted as God wanted us to. It can change lives. That's why it's so important for us to live as Christ asks us to live. More and more people are looking for answers to life. The good news is, is that after so many years, active churches are on the increase. They're growing and expanding. But so too, people are looking at astrology. They're searching at mediums, at fortune tellers. They're looking um, for the cults. They're going everywhere. And I know, just as you do, that traditional churches are dwindling and some of them are even dying. But did you know, so too are pubs and nightclubs, because more and more people are wanting to keep themselves to themselves. But we've got the answer, haven't we? We have got the answer. We have what people are so desperately craving for. And although some people might ask us about our faith, many won't. And that is why it's so important for us to live out the Bible so we can be an example to people that are watching us. The world is not hungry for man-made religions. They're not hungry for churches that are steeped in traditionalism and guys wearing dresses. If we are going to be an effective church around the world or even in Doncaster, then we need to live our lives as God intended them to be. That's when people will say to, about us that we're doing such a good job. They'll admire us for the things that we're doing. And they'll say that we speak their language and they can understand what we're going on about. Now we're not to just go through the motions. If we actually believe this stuff, if we believe what the Bible says, then we ought to be putting it into practice. If somebody we know needs help or is in trouble, we don't storm up to them and wag our finger at them and tell them what a silly billy they are and they shouldn't have got in that situation in the first place. We help them out. We ought to live as a community. We ought to be sharing our possessions with each other. We ought to be sharing our problems. We ought to be sharing our lives with every one of us. But not only that, we need to be looking at each other's needs before we look at our own needs. Another thing that God has given us to share are spiritual gifts. God's power in our lives is given us to share with other people. Charismatic churches, 
brilliant, fantastic, marvellous. Not knocking them honestly, mate. All right? <clears throat> but they demonstrate the power of God behind closed doors. When I read the Bible, Christians went out in the streets and performed miracles. And they showed the power of God. Peter and John, they went to pray. They saw a lame man on the way. And they healed him outside the temple. They did loads of miracles outside religious buildings. And it's that type of thing that speaks 10 million times louder than some guy stood on a street corner with a megaphone. I know, I've tried it. People are starving for reality. They're hungry for the truth. They're craving for meaningful relationships in their lives. But we've got all that. We know what food we ought to be giving them. And we know the answers. Just as Joseph had a great big storehouse filled with grain and food to give his people life, so too we have got a humongous, gigantic, mega, super-sized storehouse filled with all the nutrition and goodness and life-restoring stuff to give them. Jesus. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life to the full. Jesus also said that he was the bread of life. The best thing we can give to anyone, whether they're lonely, whatever situation they're in, the best thing we can give them is that bread of life, Jesus. Only Jesus... Uh, all those people that follow Jesus can have a fulfilled life. And a life where you can feel safe and secure. Have a safe relationship. By giving, your, well, by giving someone Jesus, we give, offer hope to our friends, our family. And Jesus offers all that to you and me as well. Now, it's been amazing actually because I thought to myself... I've not heard anyone ask people to know Jesus for ages. And we heard it about three times today already. But I'm saying to you now, there might be some people in the room that don't know Jesus. Oh, they might know about him, but they don't know him in their lives. So if you'd like to know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One is either come and speak to me after the service, or Owen, Dave, Owen or Moena or Heather, or Paula or whoever, Sue. Come and talk to one of us. But what I'd say as well is, right... Come to an Alpha course. Find out what, alpha, what Christianity is all about. Come along to an Alpha if you don't know about that already. And if you do know Jesus, if you know um, the power of God in your life, if you know what Jesus has done for you and how great it's changed your life, well, invite them to the next Alpha course. Invite them to um, what's happening on the 20th of um, March. If you'd like to know more about that, come and see me. It'd be really great to see you there. Uh, Because Jesus is fantastic and he's changed so many lives. Should we pray? Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. I thank you that you, uh, all the punishment that we deserve, you took upon yourself. And uh, you died on that cross. And the best thing of all, Lord, is that you rose from the dead. And I just praise you for that, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you will fill us with your spirit. Fill us with more of your word. Fill us with more of you. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Show us the bad things that are in our lives. Get rid of the junk that's in our lives and put good stuff in there, Lord. Help us, Lord, to um, 
be active. Help us not to be scared of you or telling people about you. But let us demonstrate you in our lives and other people's lives. Lord, I just pray that you'll help every one of us in this room to be effective for you and help us to spread your message, your gospel into the world. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 